invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, you uh, maybe remember two weeks ago we uh, began our study of Psalm 51, looking at the first nine verses, and this evening I'd like to continue and, uh, and finish uh, the rest of the psalm. Um, so Psalm 51, and we'll read the entire psalm. A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is the prayer of a, a, a broken man, a convicted man, uh, who has been brought face to face with the, the, horrible, uh, the horrifying reality of his sin, and, and yet uh, runs to the mercy and the grace of God. Let's give our attention. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, thank you so much for this prayer from the lips of a man who was staring at, uh, Lord, the, the wrath that he deserved and yet fled to the mercy that you promised. And I pray, Lord, that God, that tonight you would lead us along this same path as we face the truth of our need and just the wonder again of your provision in Christ for us sinners. And I pray, Lord, that the joy of our salvation would be given again to us and that you would lead us then into the life that you have for us as those who've been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 51 is maybe one of the um, most well-known psalms in the Bible. And yet, um, I, my, my question to you tonight is, do you really know Psalm 51? Uh, because there's a secret 
key to uh, understanding Psalm 51. It, if you just read it through, uh, even though the language is, is fairly clear, uh, you won't really get Psalm 51. You won't understand it. There's a, there is a necessary key uh, to unlocking the truth of Psalm 51, and, and here it is. The, the, the key to understanding Psalm 51 is you have to be a real sinner to get Psalm 51. And in other words, you, you have to um, have faced yourself uh, and the truth about yourself. This is a psalm that David wrote after uh, he had the horrifying uh, truth of his own wicked heart revealed as he sinned in taking another man's wife and then having that man put to death and then lying and hiding uh, for almost a year until it took an act of God in sending Nathan the prophet to put his finger in David's face and saying, you are the man who deserves to die. And David is, uh, is brought to face himself. And if you think that you've never sinned as seriously as, as David did, then this psalm will be interesting, but you won't really get it. It only works if uh, you've come face to face with the power of real temptation and uh, you've experienced the devastating evil of your own heart and the, uh, the incredible fickleness of your heart, right? If, if you see yourself as basically a good person who's doing your best but makes mistakes from time to time, it's a closed book to you. But if you're convinced that uh, you have the same heart David has, uh, that, that his lying and his lusting, his murderous heart is it's part of your story, it's a truth about you, uh, then these words are life and liberty. They're a path to forgiveness and a path to fruitfulness. Uh, last, uh, last time we looked at this, we looked at the first nine verses. Um, under the heading, uh, the path from transgression to joy. And we noted in the first nine verses how uh, David, being convicted of his sin, does not hide the way Adam did, the way we tend to do, but David, under conviction, runs precisely to the God who has every right to condemn him. Uh, we, we talked last time that conviction is not repentance. Conviction is not faith. It's the necessary beginning, but it is only the beginning, and that the, the, the path to joy begins with conviction, but runs to the steadfast love, the realities of the love and the mercy of God. Uh, and that, that confidence that God is full of steadfast love and mercy allows us to fully and freely confess. We don't have to hedge our confession. I didn't really mean to, but... Or it was, it was a bad day, it was a, it was a bad moment. It, this isn't really who I am. See, that, that's what we tend to do, still hiding in the presence of God. David says, this is who I am. This is not just what I did, but I, I've been wicked from conception. And you're justified, God, if you would judge me. But David believes that God is willing to forgive, and so he asks God to blot out his sin, and, and he embraces God's saving power. Wash me, purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. He believes that the grace of God is sufficient for even his great sin that he had committed as the king of Israel. But forgiveness is not the end of the story. 
Uh, it's, it's, in a sense, the open door to the rest of the story. It's, it's, the, it's the open door to a new life, a life of um, experiencing the transforming reality of God's grace, not just the forgiving reality. And so tonight, uh, as we look at verses 10 and following, we'll look at the path from forgiveness to fruitfulness. I want to first uh, just note in verse 10, a, uh, the path begins with a new heart. Uh, verse 10 is, uh, in many ways, the very center of the, uh, of the psalm. And notice there's five stanzas. This is in stanza number three, the middle stanza. And verse 10 is the middle stanza of the middle, the middle verse of the middle stanza. Uh, the first nine verses uh, deal with David's plea for forgiveness. The following nine verses deal with David's plea for transformation. As David, uh, trusting that God is willing and able to forgive and cleanse him, now prays for an inner transformation. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Uh, the word create here is the same word we have in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Futado points out that in the Old Testament, this verb is used exclusively for divine activity. This is something that only God can do. Kidner adds, with the word create, David asks for nothing less than a miracle. It is a term for what God alone can do. Last, week, or last time we looked at this, we noted that the, uh, the creative power of regeneration, the, 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 the power that's actually able to wash us clean and change our heart is greater even than the power that forms galaxies. And I say that because it only took a word from the sun to cast galaxies into the universe. It's just a word. Let there be. And there was. But it took that sun giving his very life to reconcile us to God. And, and to make us new by the power of his Holy Spirit from the inside out. And it is, it is that miraculous, recreating, renewing power of God that David turns to and asks for. I notice he's, he's, David's not making promises to clean up his act. He doesn't say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. I promise I'll never do it again. Or I'm going to really uh, do better now. He's, he's, he's not making any sorts of promises. He, he can't make his heart clean. He can't make his spirit right. There's something wrong with him. There's a bent in him, a twist in him, a perversion in him. If you have any cognizance of your own self, you know this to be true. You can make promises until the cows come home about what you intend to do and what you intend not to do. But you cannot change the bent the reason behind you doing the evil things that you know you should not do. And it is essential in David's mind that this happens. You see, even if he never has another affair for the rest of his life, unless God does this inner work of transformation, he will remain a fundamentally unchanged man. Because the engine within him will be the same engine. 
That the, the spirit in him will still be a lusting, lying, self-entitled heart. And if it's not this, the, the uh, sin of a, fa- of, of, of a sexual immoral relationship that, that bursts out of that heart, it'll be some other wicked, evil, perverse thing. By asking for a clean heart, a right spirit, you see, David is saying, God, I, I need you to do a work at the very root of my being, down where all the wickedness comes from. The, the, the outward acts, the horrifying outward acts of, of stealing another man's wife and, and then having the man murdered and, 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 and then all the lying and the pride, just all the horror of it. David recognizes that those are just the outward physical manifestations of a deep inward perversion. And, and, and he wants that inner perversion to be changed. I remember Paul Tripp um, telling the story of, of a time his uncle, uh, they were at a family get-together, and his uncle had too much to drink, was drunk, and began speaking lewdly about the women in the room. And, and his mother quickly grabbed him and his brother and brought them out to the car and, and told him something. He said, I, I never forgot. And she said that nothing comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't already there in his heart. That's absolutely true. Nothing comes out of the mouth of a drunk. Nothing comes out of your mouth in anger. Right? When, you, when you get angry and you say something, and then, and then you say, well, I didn't really mean that I was angry. No. Nothing comes out of your mouth when you're angry that wasn't already there in your heart. Out of the heart is the issues, issue of life. And David, you see, wants God to address that root, to transform the putrid fountain out of which the sins had flown. You see, he, he doesn't simply want to be pronounced righteous. He believes that he will be. Wash me and I will be clean. Purge me with hyssop. I'll, I'll be clean. He, he, want, he doesn't want to just be pronounced righteous because, you see, that's ceremonial cleanliness he's talking about. The purging with hyssop is, is take the blood from the sacrifice and sprinkle it on me so my sins are washed away. Praise God, that's true and possible. But see, he wants more. He wants to be righteous. Not only justified, but sanctified, transformed from the inside out. And if the Spirit of God is in you, you know what that yearning feels like. Because the Spirit creates a hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There's great joy in knowing that we are forgiven fully and freely. But if the Spirit of God is in you, there's going to be a hunger for more, that you want to be transformed. We don't only want to be forgiven for our lying and lusting, our pride and anger and gossip and and awful God-denying selfishness. We don't want to simply be forgiven of those things. We want to be done with those things. To be saved to sin no more. And we will not be satisfied until that's true, until that's the case. I don't want to just stop doing wicked things. I want to stop loving wicked things. I want to start loving righteous things, see? I want to be changed from the inside out. What would a new heart and a right spirit look like? Well, I think the answer is in verse 12. A right spirit would look like a willing spirit. 
Uphold me with a willing spirit. A willing spirit is a spirit that leans into and, and runs toward the things of God. If you have to be dragged um, you know, into the things of God constantly, you've got to be dragged into your Bible. You've got to be dragged to prayer. You've got to be dragged to church. That's not a willing spirit. Something's wrong. So, something hasn't happened yet. Or it needs to happen again, right? God needs to do that work again. A willing spirit leans into the things of God. So, so uh, Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So that there's, there's a joy in God and in his word and in his commands and in his ways. That's what Adam and Eve had before the fall. If you think, what was the paradise of paradise? Well, the paradise of Eden was, was, was both communion with God and a likeness, a, a, a sharing of hearts. The things that delighted the heart of God delighted the heart of Adam and Eve. The, thing that con- the things that concerned the heart of God concerned Adam and Eve. There was a union of heart. The things of God were a delight, a joy, a treasure. I was lost in the fall. And we had twisted, bent hearts that love things that destroy us. But, but David holds this up. Create a willing spirit within me. It's what the angels in heaven experience, isn't it? You don't have to, you don't have to uh, wake up the angels. Guys, it, uh, I know uh, it's a new day. We have to go worship now. You're constantly, willingly, can't help it. They have to worship. God is so glorious and good and beautiful. And friends, this new, this new willingness is what God promises in Christ in the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That's exactly what he promises. That not only does he forgive our sins, but he promises to do a work within us. And, and create within us a heart that delights in the things that delight God and a heart that's concerned with the things that concern God. That God is creating the new heart with new tastes and new passions, new hungers, new joys. That's what David prays for. And that moves him then, you see, with, with a new heart into a, a new mission. Verse 13 Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David, the the sinner wants to become a teacher. Now, you, you might think of, of all the unqualified people in the world uh, to teach sinners the ways of God. How, what, what in the world makes David think that he would be a good candidate? I mean, he just made wreck of his, of his, uh, his king, kingly position. He's made wreck of his confession. Everything he said he believed about God went right out the window when he climbed into bed with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered. So, David, uh, you know, this would be a time for you to be, be quiet and uh, just quietly retire. Let other more qualified, more godly men. No, no, that is not the gospel way. David says, then, praise God, there's a then, after a sin like his and ours. After the then is, is after you give me the joy of my salvation and a new heart, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You see, this is already an expression uh, of, the, of a new heart. 
Uh, David wants to do this. He's eager to do this. He, he wants to share with transgressors the, the joy that he's found in the grace of God. <clears throat> a Kidner writes, Note the close connection between a joyous faith and an infectious one, between experiencing restoration and leading others to that knowledge. It's when David is full of the joy. It's when we have the joy of salvation. When the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ just really actually resonates. And it's, we're convinced it's true. And it's, and it's wonderfully true. That God has forgiven our sin. When, when that joy is there, we're, we're gonna, a joyful faith is an infectious faith. Conrad uh, Mbewi says, this is why new converts make the best evangelists. They're not trying to do do a duty. They're not not, uh, moving out of a sense of obligation. They just feel compelled to share the good news of what what happened to them. They they were on their way to hell, happily. And, And God intersected their life and transformed their heart and forgave all their sin. And, and they want to tell people about it. Well, so should we. Conrad suggests that maybe one of the reasons that we uh, don't talk about our faith is because we, we don't really experience the confident joy of God's grace. I wonder if one of the reasons that we so easily feel hindered in evangelism is that we experience our Christianity as things to believe about God. And certainly there are things to believe about God, but we experience Christianity as that, as doctrines, instead of an experience of unbelievable grace for me, the sinner, for you, the sinner. And so our witness tends toward trying to teach people our theology instead of sharing with them the amazing grace that God has shown to a wicked, wicked person like, like us. Wouldn't that be a different way to vanish? Could, could I just share with you how wicked I really am and what God did for me in Jesus Christ? I think most people, I mean, people love drama. Uh, I think most people would be intrigued by that. Yeah, would you share that story with me? Well, David wants to share that story. And he wants, notice, to teach sinners. He doesn't want to go to the temple and talk to the guys who have it all together in their minds. He says, I, I want to teach sinners and transgressors. And what does he want to teach them? He wants to teach them the ways of God. My lips will declare your praise and, and your ways. Uh, he, he specifically, you see, he wants to talk to sinners and transgressors about the way of God with sinners. Because the way of God with sinners is completely contrary to everything that we suspect and fear. Our sense, uh, because of our guilty conscience, is that the way of God with sinners is like an angry parent rebuking, a condemning, yelling, displeased, frustrated. That's our sense of the way of God with sinners. And David wants to teach people it's not that way. God has a different way with sinners, a way marked by steadfast love, a way marked by abounding mercy. And he's confident that 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 message of God's astonishing way with sinners 
the completely unexpected nature that God exalts and rises to show mercy and, and to have compassion on sinners. That is, that has, that's a powerful story. It's a powerful witness. Then sinners will return to you. You see, what he's talking about is sharing the gospel. I deserve to die, but God, God rescued me through the sacrifice. And David knows animals won't sacrifice, won't, won't fulfill the sacrifice. Someone is going to come. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know, I, I just think about how this changes our witness. I don't want to sit and argue with somebody about the problem of evil. I'm willing to do that. Um, but... I'm probably not going to convince you if you, if, if you just think that, that um, even if I, if I win the argument, you're not, going to, you're, not going to, you're not going to fall down and say, the problem of evil has been resolved in my mind, and now I worship the God of Israel. But, but what if we just talked about the problem of our evil and what God did for us? And, 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 and the problem of our evil being that we are absolutely without excuse before God. We knew what we were doing, and we did it anyhow. And, and God would have been perfectly just to condemn us, and yet that is not God's way with sinners. He invites sinners to turn and, and to confess their sin and to repent and find in that a love vast as the ocean and broader than the sea. Well, how is he going to go about this new ministry, this mission? Well, it's going to be a tongue and lip and mouth ministry, verses 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. It's going to be a verbal uh, ministry, speaking and singing and declaring uh, just a note, do we recognize this is God's normal way of, of saving people? He sends a somebody to talk to somebody about Jesus. This is how it works. Uh, if you come from a long line of Christians, someone still had to tell you about Jesus in order for you to be saved. And, and at some point in your past, somebody told your pagan parent, grandparent, great-great-grandma, whatever it might be, somebody had the courage to tell that lost soul about Jesus. That's what God does. That's what he did for David. He sent Nathan. To convict him, he sends us to a world. And again, what's the message? It's the righteousness of God. My mouth will declare your righteousness. Your righteousness. Now, we've we got to understand what that is because it, it can easily be misunderstood and we're right back in a confusion about the ways of God. Martin Luther confessed that he hated the idea of the righteousness of God because the righteousness of God in his mind was the moral perfection of God. And, and it, was a, it was a moral standard that Luther realized he could never attain. The righteousness of God was the bar set up here. And in order to be saved, you had to reach the bar. And Luther tried and tried and tried. But he could never reach the bar. The, the righteousness of God opposed him, condemned him. He hated it. The moral perfection of God promised his own demise. But then he read Romans 3, 21 and following, and, and the Holy Spirit allowed him to actually hear the, the gospel here, the message of, Rome, of Romans chapter 3, where Paul has just said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone falls short of the standard. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested 
apart from the law, it's manifested in the law, isn't it? The, the law reveals the moral perfection of God. But, but, but Paul says, but now in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the righteousness of God, it's not simply God's moral, ethical purity. It is it includes his delight to show mercy and grace to sinners in Jesus Christ. His commitment and ability to be both just, which is the same word as righteous, just, and the justifier of the ungodly. The righteousness of God being his saving acts for sinners in Jesus Christ. Where he places your sin and my sin on his son, and when that when Jesus dies on the cross, bearing our guilt, they're washed away. And Jesus taking the moral perfection and obedience of Jesus and imputing that to the account of all those who believe so that we are righteous in the sight of God. When Luther discovered that, you had a reformation. Changed everything. Because righteousness now is not, is not opposed to us. The righteousness of God is our great hope. And that's the theme that David wants to sing about. That's, that's his song in the midst of sinners. That's the glory of God. We want to trumpet to this lost world. We want our neighbors to know that the living God is a savior for sinners and that righteousness is possible for them, not by their good intentions, not by their acts of, of, of faith or religion, not by going to church. It is available one way and one way only. If you confess your sin and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you will be righteous. That's the truth of the gospel. And one of the reasons even that Jesus allows uh, his children to fall into sin is so that message can get out. So that we can experience that truth of the righteousness of God as a free gift and share it with others. There's a a text in Luke 22. If you remember the story, Jesus is, is very, very close to, to going to the cross. And he says in chapter 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And the you there is plural. It's y'all. It's, it's all the disciples. Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, singular, you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you, singular, Simon, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, why didn't Jesus say, I've prayed for you that you may not sin? He could have. Simon could have been protected and kept from that devastating sin of, of denying that he even knows Jesus, calling down curses on his head. 
But you see, Jesus has a purpose in allowing Simon to sin. He's, and, and the purpose is that, that it's only as Simon experiences the grace of God for sinners that he's going to be able to go and strengthen his brothers, not just the disciples, but the church as a whole. So Peter will be able to write uh, like he does in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. You can't write that until you've faced yourself, you see, until you've experienced the grace and mercy of God for sinners. Jesus will use and ordain your sin so that you become fruitful. So that you have a message. So you can experience the grace of God in its, in its full glorious truth if you, as you face yourself in the, in the awful, awful truth. And, and, and then knowing the incredible joy of being forgiven and, and, and experiencing God at work to transform, to transform you. Then you've got a message. Let me tell you what God has done for my soul. David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And, and, and Psalm 51 really is the, the primary answer to, to David's prayer. Kidner says the psalm itself is the richest answer to the prayer since it has shown generations of sinners the way home long after they had thought themselves beyond recall. How many Christians, how many saints haven't found Psalm 51 to be the path home? as they thought they had sinned simply too much to, to be forgiven, just too much for God to show mercy to them. And yet, Psalm 51 not only shows them that the grace of God is sufficient, but that joy is possible and fruitfulness is real. I'm just so happy that we have a man like David in the Bible. Someone just said to me recently, uh, just that, aren't, aren't, you, aren't you glad we have a David in the Bible? I mean, what if everyone in the Bible was like Enoch, Right? <laughs> He walked with God, don't know of a single sin of Enoch, and he was so godly, he didn't even die. He just was no more. He just slid on up to heaven. What if that was everyone in the Bible? It would be devastating. I mean, I'm glad for Enoch. I, I want to be like Enoch, but I am not Enoch. And I don't think you are either. I'm so thankful that God has given me a David a man who, who knew the truth about God and yet found out the shocking power of, of a sinful heart and then in that discovered the stunning depths of God's steadfast love and mercy. And we can find the same things. And in that discovery, David and we can find what truly pleases God, a new way to worship for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The, the point is simple. It's just that the worship that, that God delights in is the worship of a sinner who comes confessing his need and trusting God's provision. A broken and contrite heart comes and says, Lord, I have sinned, and there's no excuse for it. God says, this is the one I esteem. He was humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. When we, when we come 
pleading for what we cannot do for ourselves, asking God to do what only God can do. You see, that honors God as a God of grace. The Lord will not despise that heart because God delights to answer that prayer. He will not despise that sacrifice. It's pleasing to him. Perfect example is the two men who went to the temple to pray in Jesus' story. The one man, um, confident of his own righteousness, Jesus says. And he went to thank God for what a wonderful man he was. Very confident that God was very pleased with him. Looking for applause from heaven. And the other man, desperate for mercy. Hard to imagine in his mind that God would possibly receive him. He couldn't even look up because of his sin. But he dared to trust mercy and grace. And in that, he honors the Lord and receives the blessing. This man, Jesus says, went home justified. That'd be a great text for a sermon, for a funeral, wouldn't it? This man went home justified. This man went home justified. Isn't that what you want? It's what God promises as we confess our sin. And not just justified, but sanctified. Not perfectly, not even close to perfectly, but truly, as we believe this gospel. uh, we, we We can have this confidence that we can go home tonight. You can go home tonight justified if you've never been. As you just follow Psalm 51 and confess your sin and and trust what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, you can go home tonight justified. And we can walk, friends, the rest of our life being sanctified. A process, a slow process, a painful process, but a wonderful process, a beautiful path from forgiveness to fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness not being how, how good we become, the fruitfulness being the story we get to share. That God has made a way in Jesus Christ to save a sinner even like me. And I'm sure then that he can do it for you. Let's sing about that. Let's let that be our message in a lost, lost world. Let that be our ministry. May God grant it. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, thank you so much for David, a sinner, a desperate sinner who found the way home through the conviction of your Holy Spirit and through the promises of your word, through the the steadfast love and mercy of your heart, the sacrifice that you provided. And Father, I thank you that we can have all these things even in greater measure in Jesus Christ. That no matter, Lord, how grievous our sin, and it is vastly more grievous than we know, the way is open for us tonight to be justified, to be declared righteous. And the way is open for us to be increasingly sanctified, being made more and more like Jesus, and sharing his heart. Oh, God, I pray that you would encourage us with this, with this word uh, to, to ask for these things. Oh, God, create a new heart within us and a right spirit, a willing spirit that leans into the things of God and open our lips that our, 
our mouth can declare your praise. That our testimony in this world will not just to be about the things that we believe about God and about the Bible and about faith, but the things that we've experienced. The ways of God for sinners in Jesus Christ. And may that Lord bear fruit. May we see sinners turn and repent and be saved. Thank you so much, Lord, that you've spoken to us tonight. May we just pray that you bind this word to our hearts for our joy and our comfort and our fruitfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's respond to the word by singing Psalm uh, 51, the last uh, 10 verses. Gracious God, my heart renew, make my spirit right and true. Let's stand together and sing.